This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting though. Oh, he's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untaps in front, Untaps holding on. What a win. Untap from the Aris and Xavier Cup. And it's very elegant. Ten group bumps. And now the greatest of them all, the Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Cracking the Codes. I don't know if the week's gone fast, whether it's gone uh, slowly. I'm not sure where we are. I'm not even sure what day it is, but it's been one uh, fantastic week. Uh, The thoroughbred racing at Flemington uh, has been absolutely fantastic. We're looking, to be truthful, I'm looking towards today's meeting as being my favourite day of the week. I think it always used to be, but it's reinforced it, it's cemented it, and what a fabulous program we're looking forward to today. Can't do cracking the shows without these two. I could, obviously, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it without these two. Matt Stewart and Simone Fisher, good morning to you both. Hey, Simone, good luck to him doing it without us. You're... <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're right about today, Dan, and both, all three codes have probably had a degree of reinvention to festivals and big days and so on. And Inter Dominion, Dan, is obviously one that sticks out to me that is constantly being reinvented and so on. But, Simone, today, Flemington is is probably in, in years to come going to be the absolute biggest day. This is a day where 20 years ago when you used to drive to the final day at Flemington, they were dismantling the marquees from Cup Week because the crowd was going to be so low and it was a few families will trickle in and all that. But now it's Champions Day and I think it's going to become the biggest day for crowds and, and focus and everything. It's, it's got a little bit of distance from whatever Volandis is doing in Sydney as well. So... Um, amazing how the ebb and flow of Cup Week changes from era to era. And what we have now is is probably it, it reaching a crescendo today and looking forward to seeing what the crowd and, and so on is. And without question off the top of the, you know, without notice, but to both of you, like, th- this stuff does go on in all three codes, doesn't it, where things are tinkered with and improved and changed and so on. And it's important to measure history against innovation, Simone, at times, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, Matt, and good morning to both of you. And before I sort of answer that question, I just want to congratulate you both. I don't need to pump up your tyres, and I'm not doing it for that reason, but outstanding coverage of the Melbourne Cup on Tuesday via RSN. Really, I was in and out of the car a number of times during the day and um, thoroughly enjoyed listening to the coverage for yourself, from yourselves and Dean Lester and Steve Moran and also Marie in the mounting yard. So, Hats off to you both. And yes, you're right, Matt, the reinvention and the history, um, it's when they do come together and they can in this day and age. And I think that you've got to embrace it. We've got the technology, we've got the tools to do it now. So why not? You know, there's no better time. We can engage people. We can get the message out. And with the Top Gun tonight at the Meadows, a huge night of racing and the harness racing, all of a sudden people are pricking up their ears too because we've got so many great races ahead of us in the coming months and I think these festivals and um, things that people can relate to and terminology like Champions Day, what a a great ring to it. It Automatically you think I'm going to go and see the best horses that are racing around and the Top Gun tonight at the Meadows, you know, you're looking at the Top Guns, the great, the best dogs there are at this particular time. So you're absolutely right. I think now is the time. Let's Get this ball rolling again, and let's just keep going with and, it. And even the Dream Chasers Festival, to me, that just yeah. uh, that's the most beautifully pitched uh, branding for a new festival. And Dan, I, I remember in harness racing, there was this ch- rejigging about how do we best utilise different times of the year. And I think something, I may be wrong, but something that came to light in harness racing a while ago was how best to use the summer months. And I think that's been a real focus for festivals, in certainly in Victoria. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And uh, once upon a time, we thought the horses uh, needed the gaps between the spring and the latter part of the spring, and then what become the latter part of the summer and early part of the autumn. But that's not necessarily the case nowadays. And I think uh, a lot of trainers have, um, and and Ma Eustace are a perfect example of that. They've adopted what has often been considered as that European way of training, and horses can have a one run every month. And it seems to be working. It seems to be embraced. There's a lot more opportunities, plenty of prize money. Um, thoroughbred racing in this country is very healthy. No, absolutely. Just a little bit of a look back to what we saw this week. Simone, you 
Dan and I were on the tools, uh, and you were on the couch next to your um, weird glassy-eyed greyhound, no doubt, the, the one that you had. Yeah. Um, yeah, we won't talk about him. Um, how did you see it from, uh, like, as, a, as, as more of a greyhound person but someone who loves horses and you got first crush on the farm and you're very much part of the racing game in that sense as well, what, did you, what impressed you the most about, uh, say, the Melbourne Cup? Um, oh, look, I look at it more from looking at horse flesh point of view rather than the dynamics of the race and what can and can't happen in the form. But I did get I did get the um, Dover legend, the favourite, in a cup sweep that my mum does every year. So I thought I'm off to a good start here. But I just love seeing those horses looking so fit and athletic and what a thoroughbred. It, that is the epitome of a thoroughbred, like muscle and a short coat and a shiny coat and just on their toes wanting to go out and do what they're bred and genetically designed to do, and that is run fast. And so I look at it from that perspective. I mean, there's a little bit of fashion that you might look at, but I wasn't glued to the television at all. I, just, I watched the race and I just admired. I just admire the whole racing fraternity, the jockeys, the trainers, and just those horses. That's what it's all about, and they just look magnificent. And anyone that's got half a brain could see that even if you don't like racing, the care that those horses have had to get them to look like that. You don't just drag a horse out of a paddock that with no rug and no proper hard feed and its feet not done to be represented in that manner. And that is what appeals to me um, in any any of the racing codes, it's the animals. Well, they're, they're the central player, Dan, aren't they? And, and the marketing of all three codes, it's they, it's hard for the marketing people to know what the, the, the key marketing element is. And even when I go to Sandown Greyhounds every now and then, that little grassy knoll just around the, from the into the home turn, and then when the, 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 the kennels are, the, 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 the race day kennels, me and my mates always go and have a look at them, have a wander around there. And I remember there was a year where... The, there was a Melbourne Cup or a Sandown Cup and there was two little brothers who were enormous and I just was desperate to go and see these two really big male dogs. They were running against Miata and I'm, I'm fascinated by seeing the, the animals up close and a bit like going to the zoo. But And Dan, in harness racing, we're going to reflect on Christian Cullen this morning. To, to see a horse like him up close on track in the flesh is so much different than seeing that horse on the TV screen. So I think... The basic elements of the three sports are all still the same. Like when you when you clear everything else and all the clutter, you still come back to the the uh, the equine and greyhound athletes, don't you? As the as the central figures. Yeah. Oh, then they're no doubt they're still heroes. They always were when I was growing up. And uh, you you want to watch the champions. It doesn't matter if it's a sport, if it's a, it's a racing industry. Um, sometimes you're blessed to have a really good um, bunch of horses at any one time. Uh, but then the champions stand out. And I think Christian Cullen was one. And the reason we talk about him, the New Zealand uh, Trotting Cup was run on Tuesday. It's a massive day. It really is a massive day. I've been fortunate to be there on a number of occasions. I was even fortunate to have a winner on that race day. It wasn't the New Zealand Cup, but it felt like it was. Um, actually, uh, Terry Henderson part owned the horse with me. But... Um, Rock and Roll Do, the Victorian uh, who won the Victoria Cup, will represent uh, our country uh, by starting in the New Zealand Cup. But one of the most famous ones, it, would you believe we were to go back to 1998? I thought you'd be impressed with this one. Got the replay of Christian Cullen's New Zealand Cup win. And down the back, 64.1. I don't think there's going to be any record in this race because it's going to be a fairly leisurely pace except for this last 600 metres. And Christian Cullen about to set them alight. It's Christian Cullen. Here comes Araklis over to the outside. He's about a length and a quarter back. In behind the runners, Roymark, followed then by Anvil Vance. Then came Franco in force. Anvil stars wide. Tech tools, he's called it a day. There's a Franco was next, followed by Cates first. Christian Cullen heads for home. It's Christian Cullen. He puts three lengths on Araklis. Christian Cullen. Araklis wants to come out and make it worthwhile. It's Christian Cullen in front. Heracles, it's the finish we expected. Christian Cullen in Heracles. Christian Cullen, Heracles. It's Christian Cullen in a galaxy of stars. He's the brightest of all. Christian Cullen wins it. Second home, Heracles. What a great call. And Dan... Rion Merthyr. And so one thing I really get annoyed at is when we um, cheerlead uh, an average bunch of horses. Because when you do, like... 
let's face it, the Melbourne Cup this year was a very average field, and there's no harm in saying it because when you get a really great field, you can actually say it and it means something. And just listening to Heracles and Christian Cullen there, like as great as Christian Cullen was, Heracles was super great as yeah. well. These are two... They'll stand up in a century's time. These were two horses that were just unbelievably good. And I actually forgotten about the, the closeness of that race. Uh, unbelievable stuff. Hey, Dan, you've got some stuff to give us a splice of Champions Day today. And back in the day before the reinvention, uh, the Queen Elizabeth Stakes was a, a major race on this day. And you've got, uh, you've got some nice grabs for us. I have. Uh, well, I think I have. Queen Elizabeth Stakes, in some years there was a couple of different versions run, uh, and they'd be run in March, and then you'd have the Queen Elizabeth Stakes that would be run in uh, the Melbourne Cup Carnival, known today as the Queen's Cup. So it's had a few variations in names, but uh, one of the most memorable, it was slightly before our time because I was too young, but it's something that we, we heard about, Matt and I, as we grew up, and it was a match race. Would you believe it was a match race between the, the Caulfield Cup winner and the Melbourne Cup winner, remembering that Big Falou was supposedly nobbled at. He was favoured for the Melbourne Cup. He didn't was, get to start. He was nobbled. He, well, he was nobbled. He didn't get to start, so he came up against the two-time Melbourne Cup champion in Rain Lover, and they ended up only two horses that accepted for the 1970 Queen Elizabeth Stakes. At the half mile, it's Rain Lover with Harlem sitting against it. Plenty of juice left in the tank. Now creeping up close behind it, Big Falou. Higgins is only going to give it about a length and a quarter start as they come past the three. That's knowing the home turn. By gee, they've got me getting uh, tingles in the heart as they come around the turn. Two great horses about to have a struggle here. Rain Lover, one in front of Big Falou. Big Falou is tracking Rain Lover. Harlem had another peep over the shoulder. Still Big Falou hasn't come out. Now he does at the two. Big Falou is out after Rain Lover. He's got to within three quarters of a length. Now a half length. Harlan's gone for the whip on Rain Lover. Big Falou drew level on the outside. Higgins went for the whip. So did Harland. The whips are cracking. Big Falou's got his head in front. I think the champ has gone on the outside. Big Falou's got a long head in front. Rain Lover coming again. Big Falou, Rain Lover, they go to the line together. Oh! Photo! Photo! Big Falou has won it by a nose. Big Falou has won it by a nose from Rain Lover, with Rain Lover coming again on the line and would have won in one more kick after being headed by about a half neck. What a race. That was Bert Bryant, uh, and, and the, there was a bob of the head. I mean, that was a match race that went down to the wire with two of the most famous horses in that particular era. Unreal. Absolutely Unreal. Hey, I've got one that I've added to our little list because of the little bit of aftermath to this uh, to this particular win. And I know you've got another one as well with an all-time favourite horse. But, uh, Phil, this one was from 1998. Let's have a listen to this one. As the idol of Australian racing turns the corner, it's Might End Power, the leader, just wobbling a little bit off the uh, fence. A run on the inside for Bridal Man, but at the 400 metres now, and Might and Power is the leader. Cassidy now starts to give him a little dig in the ribs, and away he goes at the 300. Here comes the great champion, Might and Power. Three links clear now from Oregon Star, trying hard, and then Boulder and Bridal Man. But the idol of Australian racing, Might and Power, let go in the last 150, and away he goes, the champ. The great champ, Mike Powell, wins it well by about six or seven. See, the, the sound effects mic was close to the hooves there. <laughs> it just sounded like the, the horses were going to run right through the, the microphone there. Now, the aftermath, Simone, the situation there, you know when you expect to see scenes of elation, but you see long faces, and you think, oh, what's going on here? So what happened was... Might and Power came back to scale with Jim Cassidy on board and awaiting them were Nick Moradis and Jack Denham. And Jack Denham never smiled anyway, but uh, Nick Moradis was... I do was, remember that era. Yeah, <laughs> I do Nick, remember it. Nick Moradis was a much more up and about sort of character. And then as Jim Cassidy came back to scale, Dan, you saw their faces sink. And I thought... And Jim Cassidy had this really concerned look on his face. And I thought, what's going on here? And it turns out that he, he detected that Might and Power had tweaked a tendon. And he basically said to them, guys, it's basically all over. This horse is broken down. And uh, and as you know, Dan, it, it took a long time of rehab and he came back and had a handful of runs and, and wasn't the same horse. But that moment where he had that massive win, the postscript was suddenly the mood changed because they realised that they had a real problem on their hands. So, yeah, it was an interesting postscript. 
But you could hear the applause in the background. He he was the horse at that time, and it was, in one way, uh, you you would remember that performance. It was a fitting farewell, even though we didn't know it was going to be a farewell. But I think it was about seven or eight to one on. So anyone that was invested in that race was purely from the heart in in watching and cheering on a champion. And he didn't let anyone down. It was an effortless victory, typical of might and power. And you know, it's a fond memory I've got to to um, uh, put to his last great race performance he wasn't the same might and power when he came back about 18 months two years later and he only had a couple of starts but wasn't competitive and gee he was one of the greats wasn't he as was yes as was probably would this horse be if he's not the most famous gray he's certainly one of the most famous gray horses he had a personality of his own and i found this movie tone clip which we love so much guys don't we we find some of these They're, they're quite funny but um Anyway, this is a package about the mighty great gun sin when he was winning the, uh, the Queen Elizabeth Stakes when it was run also in the autumn. Known as a Hollywood film star, gun sin never left a photographer in doubt. Is the one on the left, sir? There are three of them, he said to Mr. Higgins. Maybe there's one on the right. That is my best angle, sir. The other horses became impatient, but Gunsin was not to be hurried. This was his final day. And the Hollywood film star posed again for people lining the fence just before stepping onto the track. Clark of the course hurries Gunsin along as the minutes tick by. Mr Higgins, says Gunsin, have we missed one? Yes, we have. There's a gentleman on the right with a camera. This is the last one. Guns end on the track. Roy Higgins thinking the grey would never get to the barrier. Gives him a gentle pat, urges him forward, and he goes to the barrier for his final race at Flemington, March 17th, 1973. The racing now in the Queen Elizabeth Stakes Small field of six got away in good order, and of course the grey Gunsend, you can see not anxious to lead, is being eased in behind Lozenge, which has the pale blue colours. Here's the leader, Aldai Khan, coming across from the outside as they go out of the straight. Aldai Khan leads on the outside of stays, Gunsend is dropping back in on the fence, and as they start the sweep out of the straight and go down the side, going fast, Altai Khan takes possession of the rails and leads out of the straight now from stays and battleground. Picking them up head-on, coming out of that turn towards the run down the side, Altai Khan shows out. About a length of battleground with a white cap up on the outside of Stays, third on the fence. Fourth of Lazenz, next to last gun send, and Kulalinga checked off their heels, is last of all. The grey is going along nicely down the side, in second last placing on the Marawanong River side. Coming now towards the back of the straight, and here, Lozenge is moving up on the outside to tackle battleground. Just in behind them on the outside is Gunsend, and Altai Khan still shows the way on the fence from Lozenge. Battleground has eased in third on the inside of the great Gunsend, cruising up, and the length and a half further back is stays with Kunalinga last of all. That's the order Altai Khan leads. Lozenge second, battleground is third, fourth on the outside still is Gunsend, and then Kunalinga and stays. We'll pick them up as they run past Chiquita Lodge and start the run down the side past the 800 metre mark. Altai Khan still holding them at bay from Lozenge. Higgins pulls out now on the great guns in to give him full bore. Watch the uh, white-headed one come out now, battleground, and split them, making it difficult for guns in to get around. They're homeward bound, and Altai Khan's rider gave it a crack with the whip. Battleground in the middle, guns in to starting to wind up. The others have burnt off. Higgins asks the big question out of Gunsind, and he ranges up to these two and will cross back in a moment and give you a hit-on shot of them with Gunsind, Battleground in the middle, and Altai Khan on the fence. They're having a great battle, and any one of the three at this stage could win. Slipping back to the turn into the straight now, face on, there's Gunsind on the extreme left-hand side. He's under pressure. Battleground in the middle, Altai Khan won't give in. The others are burnt off. Higgins asking the supreme effort now from the grey. He's slowly but surely, Gunsind is getting the upper hand, Battleground ground under the whip. Aldai Khan is battling on Will, but this great grey is just a bit too strong. He takes the lead and here another shot of them. You can see the pressure in which this 
Greg Gunson was asked. He's giving all he's got. This is his last race in Victoria. He'll go on and win at great expense, though. And Gunson on the outside getting the upper hand from battleground. Altai Khan, and that's the order as they hit the line. Who was the race caller, Dan? Was it a movie tone? Just uh, sounded like Bert doing... Bryant again. Did it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bert Bryant, of course, calling that uh, famous, and I think he, one of the most famous races he called was that Rain Lover Big Falu, and it did sound like his voice there, uh, as as well. But uh, incredible bit of vision that matches the the uh, the script that went alongside of it, because Gunsid just seemed to stop and and wait for everyone to take his picture. It was quite extraordinary scenes there. Who were the most? Did you like that, Simone? Oh, I absolutely loved it, and. Grey horses, I mean, I do have a soft spot for greys, and they always stand out and look absolutely beautiful. And then with every coat change every year, they get whiter and whiter and whiter, so you can sort of get a gauge on how old they may be. But even that grey race at Flemington on Tuesday, and White white Marlin, the, the grey that won one of the earlier races, absolutely stunning, and I just love seeing their, yeah. their tails that are peppered with grey and white and black, and um, they just... They really stand out. So Gun sinned. And back in those days, in that clip, he was quite dark and dappled. So it suggested he was quite young at the time. But he really did look like a poser, didn't he? He just um, knew that he had a presence about him. He was a bit of a poser. Speaking of posers, Matt, uh, what were you going to say? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a real poser. Such a snappy dresser. Hey, um, horse heroes, like there's ones that are heroes because they're champions and there are ones that are heroes because of other little things. And... You know, I still think Farlaps ticks all the boxes of, of being the champion, the, you know, the public hero uh, through certain times and the depression and the great adventure overseas. So he's probably the one that ticks all the boxes. But I think Sub-Zero and Gunsind are, are next in line for importance and for meaning something more than just being a champion horse. Uh, Gunsind for all the reasons that we've mentioned and Sub-Zero for all the extracurricular stuff that he did. But... Are they the three most important horses we've had for various reasons? Well, they have to be, don't they, Simone? Because I think people um, remember their name for not just their outstanding deeds. There was a song about Gunsind and you know Sub Zero, what he was able to do off the track. I, I think they've become uh, equally as famous um, as uh, as the Australian language. You know, there's a place for them there as well. And, and sometimes people forget. Uh, where their fame initially lied, and that was on the racetrack. What was the one, the harness horse? Was it Mary's Idol who had a beer in a pub? Who was the one they yeah, took I into that a was bar? in the Manu, Manu pub. And in, in New Zealand, they created that one, Savancelot, when he won his, uh, his third uh, Inter-Dominion in Auckland. Um, they recreated that as well, and he went into a bar in, in Auckland with Brian Hancock. Gee, these harness horses have a bit of a problem with booze, don't they? Hey, um, horses walking into bars. <laughs> yeah, why the, the, the long face is going to get around here? Um, well, see, the- that's why, just on that long face, I always, you know how we talk about dogs and animals looking like their owners? And that's why I always think I've got a long never face. Tell that, face like never tell that to the person, though, like that they look like their pet. <laughs> I, yeah, I would say it's a compliment. Really, what, that you look like a horse? Well, Allegedly. I've got a long face. <laughs> I think you were thinking more a dog, Simone, you don't look like Gold Trip. You're a lovely lady. I think that's very harsh on yourself. I think that would be a compliment for any horse to say they looked as good as Gold Trip. Everyone ever said you look like Hondo Grattan, Dan? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about um, another little snippet from Maryborough Redwood Day on Sunday, Katrina Fitzpatrick had a second win with Kai Valley Surf Rider in a week. And I had left because the pony trots were a lot earlier in the program, so I was home before her horse raced, but she got another winner there, and it was just scenes at Maryborough. She had she was just absolutely over Just the remind moon. our it listeners so about Katrina. Remind uh, what, her, what her... Speaking of extracurricular oh, well, Dan activities... Be, <laughs> Dan might be best to, to fill our audience Well, Katrina's a, a, a trainer, but uh, she was also in charge of all the track work at, at Dowling Forest at the racetrack there. She was the, the main marshal organising all the track work for many, many years and been involved in harness racing for a long time. That's where her passion lies and um, her emotions just... Uh, um, she can't uh, control them, and rightly so. It, it, you could hear her from suburbs away if her horse is going to be in the finish. And uh, Kai Valley Surf Riders, a new addition to her team, and it's won twice in the last week. And uh, all Trotters Day, Redwood Day, that's the day that any of the trotting trainers want to win a race. So that was a special day for, for Katrina. And um, 
even in Melbourne, I think she could be heard. And of course, she's well known for being a yodeler. That's as what well. I was so sort she's of. She's got a yes. specific voice that is uh, unmistakable. It certainly is. And last week, when Kai Valley Surf Rider or Wilson, as he is known, um, he won. I had to do the swab for Katrina, and on the swab form, everyone who's done them before knows you put down your trainer number and or registered number. And she said, "Oh, I've had this number since I was sixteen, and I'll be sixty next year." So that goes to show how long she's been registered as a trainer or owner, whatever she's been doing in harness racing. But it's just lovely to see, and um, the. The club did a terrific job. They had David Murphy and his Irish band playing there. And I was thinking to myself, gee, that band sounds really good. Not knowing it was them, I was doing other things with the ponies. But um, they had a, it was a really good day. Some of the, the ladies, the senior citizens of Maryborough, all dressed up with their fascinators and um, really going all out and making it a special day for the club, which was great. Dan, we've got uh, our usual array of wonderful guests uh, this morning on Cracking the Codes. Who have we got lined up? Well, Cal Greeno and uh, Scott Wukach uh, from the Meadows, of course, with the Top Gun tonight taking centre stage and, and just having wow, she's fast in the race. It seems to elevate a great race to even something more worthwhile to watch. So uh, they're two of our guests uh, coming up in the next few minutes on Cracking the Codes. This is RSN Cracking the Codes. And it's a huge night tonight at the Meadows. It is the beginning of the Dream Chasers Festival and we have the Top Gun for Stayers, Top Gun for Sprinters and also the Hume Cup Final. And one man who's well, he's always turning up in big races with some terrific greyhounds, he has won a Top Gun before and that was in 2009 with Cindine Shelby. So if you don't know who I'm talking about yet, I'll introduce him and that's Cal Greeno. Good morning, Cal. Uh, good morning, Simone. Great to have you on Cracking the Code this morning. Gee, a big day ahead for you uh, with the Top Gun tonight. You're no stranger to big races and you've got, wow, she's fast engaged. But let's have a little chat about Cindine Shelby back in 2009 who won the Top Gun for you. She'd contested it the year prior in 2008 with her breeder trainer. But um, it was 2009. It was your night for glory. Can you remember some of that night? Because I know you've been in a lot of big races since. I do remember it. Um... I can't remember Graham Bates' dog that was coming second. Uh, might have been Valisette. I'm not really sure, but it, it was... Uh, You're right, Valisette, really it was. Yeah, really close there, and it was a terrific race. It certainly was a good race, and she was a terrific chaser for you too. She won three Group 1s in the space of four starts and took out the Agra Greyhound of the Year in 2009. When she came to you from New South Wales, um, you raced her a little bit, but she took... Not a while, but I'm sure you knew she had potential quite early on. But all of a sudden, she hit a purple patch, didn't she? Yeah, I think she always had the ability. It was just a matter of um, there was a couple of little niggling injuries we had to organise. And once they were fixed, she sort of hit her straps. But um, no, she was a really nice pitch. She certainly was. Um, well, how about before we go any further, how about we take a listen to the replay, Cal? I haven't heard it since about 2010. <laughs> I don't know how long it's been since you've heard it, but let's relive the 2009 Top Gun. Racing and sending Shelby Boxwell to the inside with Valisette going out very fast. High earner. High earner's going to drive across and lead around the first turn. Going up on the outside is Dinah Lachlan, followed by Cindine Shelby. About two to Valisette, followed by Dashing Corsair. Well back on the inside, Taranza Bale take the kitty and Cosmic Rubble at the tail. High earner the leader. Two lengths out in front, Cindine Shelby running on. Dinah Lock on the outside, two to Valisette on the turn. Cindine Shelby driving for the rails now. Takes the lead. Flying at the end, Valisette. Cindine Shelby. Shelby from Valisette and Dinah Lockett in the Top Gun, followed by High Earner, and then came Dashing Corsair. I have a recollection, Cal, about High Earner. I think High Earner was really well known. Was High Earner one of one of the vanquished behind Sistine Shelby that night? Simone, you might recall, was, was High Earner heading towards being one of those greyhounds that was getting towards, uh, you know, the, the magical million? I have a feeling he was a really High Earner, High Earner. He was, and uh, Cal, I'm sure you'll um, remember he was the top earner at one point, wasn't he? He was very aptly named. Yeah, look, I, I remember we got high earner maybe 12 months after that, and I remember uh, some publicity came down. I think it might have been, I'm not really sure, but they come down with a big pile of money and threw it in the air and had, took a photo of him with all the money because he actually was the highest earner at that point. Imagine if there are any reporters there when someone went around throwing money in the air. Can you imagine yeah. the reaction from the for poorly paid reporters who were covering <laughs> oh. the event? They would have been on the ground, Dan, wouldn't they? Shoving it in their pockets. <laughs> they had to oh, just... out the way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Um, Kel, how close would Cindine Shelby get to where she's fast? Very hard to compare eras, I think, Dan. But, um, look, I'm, I'm pretty sure she might have run around the 29.7 in those days, which is still very competitive today. But, you know, with tracks getting a little bit better and our working facilities with dogs getting a bit better, they, they generally just get that little bit faster. But, look, she would have been competitive today. It doesn't matter what, what's around. Kel, um, well, she's fast as the Animo of Greyhounds, and Animo is a horse that makes headlines on newspapers, uh, improves racing's profile, gets a few more people through the gate and all that sort of stuff. What's Well She's Fast done, like with the Top Gun and all that coming up? What what effect is, is Well She's Fast having on the game? Is she increasing the profile of Greyhound Racing because she's a she's almost a once-in-every-five- or six-year champion? Yeah, interesting, Matt. I think it might be her name that sort of gets people in, and um, if it had just a normal name, that probably wouldn't have taken much notice, but... Look, she's got her limitations like every other dog and, you know, she's not a great beginner and she needs a bit of luck early, but when she gets that clear run, she sort of shows her ability. But, yeah, I think it's more her name and her, and, and, and what she's done so far in her, in her career and she's, I think she's won five group races out of six. So, uh, yeah, she's been good and hopes she continues. Has she been used in any of the market, through GRV or whoever, is, is she being used in the, in the marketing of the sport at all? I remember... Years ago, we, we organised Miata to walk up uh, a patch of grass at Caulfield with black caviar, and it was ended up on the back page of the Herald Sun. Is, are they using where she's fast? <laughs> Funnily enough, um, we're getting photo shoot done right this minute with my wife, Jackie, down at the Tyab Airport. So, um, something about Top Gun and all that, but that's only 10 minutes from where we are. If, you're gonna, if you tell us Tom Cruise is going to be there, Simone will be there in about 35 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually waiting for Simone. Oh, really? Well, I tell you what, for a 60-year-old in the latest movie, there might have been some airbrushing, but he's still a very handsome man. Um, You know, he's... She mentions this often, Kel. This isn't the first time she's brought this up. (laughs) Simone, just for the record, how many times have you seen the new Top Gun movie? I've I've seen the new Top Gun movie twice, and I took the kid, so my son's 23, and Darcy, of course, is 11. I took them the second time. And Darcy said to me, why are all the young pilots so hot? I said, because it's a movie. Well, if she sees it a third time, Cal, it's almost a, a medical condition she's got, I'd say. Oh, no, it's not. I've never had a crush on Tom Cruise, but I can appreciate he's a very handsome man, and um, the movie was fantastic. So good on Jackie. She's the one there who puts herself out. Cal, you're at home doing the dogs, and she's there doing all the papers. And if Tom Cruise stuff. is there, you're going to get a call from Jackie, Cal, saying, it's over, Cal, I've found Tom. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Too. She's going to say, I've upgraded. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't blame you. Kel would be a maverick. You might have to cook. <laughs> yeah, cook a lamb roast. You might have to cook a lamb roast. What are they doing out there? Are they sort of saying that she's supersonic? And are they, Is there a match race between where well, she's fast at the airfield with a, with a, a, a Cessna or something? Oh, I think it's just more about uh, with the Top Gun racing Saturday night you know, tonight, and, and that, that it's all sort of happening. So it's more about the, the planes. I don't know what they're going to be coming back with with photographs, but there's certainly something happening down there. Well, it's all a lot of fun. I mean, how how exciting, Cal. You've got one of the best greyhounds in the land, if not the world, and you're having fun doing these type of things. It doesn't happen to many people, but you've really got to just embrace it while you can, I think. Yeah, we'll be retired soon, I reckon, so... <laughs> <laughs> you or the dog? <laughs> Probably both of us. Hey, just on on, on where she's fast, like with the, the career span of greyhounds, how old is she now and how long has she got? Yeah, look, realistically, she's just uh, over two and a half and she, she should have another 12 months in her. It probably depends on, look, the, the guy who owns it didn't want to heavily race because he wants to have her pups and hopefully gets another one coming through after that. And if you're racing too heavily... You can you can maybe make a bit of a problem with having better quality litters, but uh, that's just an opinion, and and you know that's what he wants to do. So he says there's not too many starts, but we'll just try and target the big races. Well, you've done that pretty well, and her bank balance as well. Um, is that a 
at such a, a, a level now that um, she's probably only one big race win away from from one of the or leading the the all time uh, stakes. Uh, Kel, is that a goal? I mean, with the races that she's eligible to run in, I imagine they would still be. Is she still eligible for any of those million dollar races? Absolutely. Um, we got the Phoenix coming up next month, and that's a million dollars to the winner race. We got the the Melbourne Cup coming up in a few weeks, which was six hundred thousand to the winner. So yeah, we've got a couple of big ones coming up. Now, I remember going to Jason Thompson's. We've had this chat before about there was a greyhound he had who was about to be nearly become the first one to win a million, and that was about a decade ago. And then and then they all started smashing through the million. How much has well she's and I don't want to early crow or mozja. How much has she earned now? And if everything goes pretty sweet for the next six months, what's the potential earnings that she might have in the bank? Oh, look, potentially a greyhound can now earn $2 million without getting laughed at. But 20 years ago, you would have laughed at it thinking, are you serious? Only racehorses earn that. But it's just ridiculous the sort of money we can run for today. And credit to the sport that they've sort of got into that situation. But it's very hard to predict what's going to happen in the future. Being a bitch, she may come on season. She may injure herself. So it's pretty hard to predict where she'll end up. But we just sort of roll on and, and keep, keep targeting these races as long as we can. And Dan, without getting sidetracked with politics, I heard you talking the other day about the low prize money in some of the harness features, Group Ones and Group Twos, with fifty and seventy-five thousand. I think hmm. the disparity now between what we're talking about with Cal and the potential earnings of these greyhounds and and harness racing, and I think as you said uh, on the radio the other day, it's it's a wake-up call for harness racing to, to get on track with, um, by hook or by crook, to work out a way to increase some um, stake money for some of these feature races. Yeah, well, well, that's right. It's a cataloguing as well. If a race is a Group 1, it's got to have money that equates to being a Group 1. Otherwise, don't be embarrassed by having it as a Group 2. Because now, in, in particularly, well, we've seen a few in the harness, but definitely in the thoroughbred and the greyhound world with these big races, they don't have to be group races to carry massive prize money. So the group cataloguing, while it's important to the uh, to the stud books and, and to the uh, brood bitches and the brood mares and the like, um, if the money... Does it match it? Well, it, you know, they shouldn't be Group 1s. And, and the Greyhound racing's not not dissimilar, but it just highlights that just because it carries huge prize money doesn't have to be a, a Group 1 race, Cal. Absolutely. Um, I can totally understand where the harness racing is going through because we went through that for a long period of time and the fact that we now have these million-dollar races for Greyhounds is, you know, booming for the sport because you're going to get better investors, people putting more money into to try and target those races. And, you know, that's obviously a bonus for everybody. Just on, on that, what's the difference? What is the income stream? And obviously it's wagering related, but what's the income stream, Cal and, and you guys as well, that has allowed Greyhound Racing to put up all these mega-rich races, whereas the same income stream is not doing the same for harness racing? What's the answer to that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really tough one because I don't understand... You know, obviously, I'm not privy to the dividends of how much they have to, you know, invest back into prize money. But all I know is that, you know, basically a greyhound costs you nothing to, for training fees, whereas, you know, I know if we get into gallopers or, or harness racing, it's costing people a lot of money to keep up their weekly feed bill. So um, I certainly know which of one's the easiest way to try and make money. Cal, you'll remember back in 2008, Rapid Journey took out the, not 2008, 1998. It was Rapid Journey who took out the Top Gun. And at the time, he passed 500000 I think he won $530,000. And we were just awestruck by that, weren't we? We just couldn't believe that a dog could win that much money. And when you consider the Melbourne Cup at the time may have been worth 100000 um, some of the, the other races maybe 50000 and the Country Cup's around ten or twenty. It's quite phenomenal that he passed that half a million dollar mark, wasn't it? Absolutely. I, I just can't believe that um, we have these million dollar races now, and, there, and we have a few to choose from. And you know, the Melbourne Cup's probably been a little bit embarrassed in greyhounds because they're now six hundred thousand a winner, and uh, they want to try and get back up as, as on top of the mantle like they used to be. And I think there'll be a little bit of a uh, you know competition to try and catch those other other races. Yeah, for sure. We're talking about the Top Gun again tonight with Welsh's Fast. You're engaged from Box 5. 
Um, you've got Peter Lugogiani's Greyhound off the red. Uh, box five, you've, given that she's not always the best beginner, but she can muster, what are your thoughts going into the race? Is that her worst? Is that the worst box she can draw? Well, it was last oh. start in Adelaide, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, she had, but look, she, she seems to get uh, those sort of middle pins in a lot of the bigger races, but you know, obviously you'd rather be in box one where French Martini is the two and three are going to start the track and give her plenty of room. So she's going to drive through and get a nice clear run. We have to we have to rely on a bit of luck that the dogs aren't going to smash around us. And uh, McInerney has got a little bit of a habit of getting up the track, so we're going to avoid him. And we've got the dogs in six and seven um, that, that may cause us a bit of drama as well. So, you know, it's, it's a dog race and dogs go anywhere. It's not like they're the same lane. So anything can happen and we're, we're going to need a bit of luck. Hey, um... We often, we've had a chat once or twice about uh, Cindy Alderson's bitch Lola, who's got pups and so on. And one of the f- failings in Lola was that she was little and she couldn't she couldn't withstand a, a battering in the run. What is while well, she's fast? Part of her arsenal is that if she does draw a sticky box and she does get knocked around a bit, that she can recover. Absolutely. Uh, the difference with Lola was the, the only I would like a little bit of Lola into where she's fast because. Lolly used to ping the boxes and have that brilliant early split, whereas this bitch hasn't got that. She's got a sensational back split, but most of the dog racing's won from the boxes for the first turn. You've got to be in a good spot, and that's the difference. You need you need luck if you don't. If you're not a brilliant beginner, I'll ring Cindy. I'll say, you know what uh, Cal Greeno just said? <laughs> What's that, Matt? I said she wish he wishes that wow, she's fast was a lot more like Lola. Yes. Well, she'll be listening, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> what was um, Lola's race name, Cal? I, I can never remember. Black, uh, black something, was it? You tell me. You tell me, that's Oh, right. you tell yeah, me. Yeah. yeah, so that's the greyhound we're talking about in a kennel name is Lola. Well, Cal, you never know. Tonight might just be another repeat of the Phoenix last year, and I've still got photos of you on my phone celebrating and giving hugs and high fives and all the rest of it because that was one of the best nights on a track I think I've ever been to, um, not working, just enjoying the moment. And, yeah, with Wow, She's Fast, it was just... It was just amazing. It, it really, really was. And um, you must just reflect back on that all the time and think how lucky you were to be involved. Look, I, I would think we were lucky because we had a good group of people who just celebrated the moment with us. It was like they all were part owners of the dog and they all took it on board that they were basically, you know, I know a lot of them did well financially out of it, whether they bet on it or they, or they gave away a lot of bonus money. But but the um, atmosphere and the and what they put on by the night was just sensational. Hey, Cal, now that Jackie's hooked up with Tom Cruise, do you want me to show you how to download the Tinder app? Yeah, you better. <laughs> you better. It can be a hair-raising experience, mate. It might be. <laughs> <laughs> well, sit down. And, well, people misrepresent themselves. I'll sit down and have a beer with you one day, and we'll go through the pros and cons of uh, dating apps. Yeah, sounds good. And I'll I'll head out with Jackie, and we'll go out for dinner with Tom Cruise or something. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> uh, well, Cal, thanks for joining us this morning on Cracking the Codes, and all the very best tonight in the Top Gun. I know we'll be cheering while she's fast on and um, enjoying the moment. So, all the very best of luck. Yeah, thanks for having me. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Maliki and Simone Fisher. Cracking the codes. There's a huge night of racing at the Meadows tonight with the Top Gun Sprinters, Stayers and the Hume Cup Final. It is the first leg of the Dream Chasers Festival. And Scott Wukach, the CEO of the Meadows, joins us on Cracking the Codes this morning. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, guys. Great to be here. Oh, look, you must be um, thrilled that this is all happening, finally. I know there's a lot of planning that goes into these big events, and now we've got this Dream Chasers Festival, a huge festival between yourself and Sandown. So to see that it's actually going to happen tonight, you must be thrilled. Yeah, it's a culmination of a lot of planning um, and uh, collaboration between the Meadows, Sandown and GRV, and and really bring together both clubs over a seven-week period and five key race meetings um, with some of the world's most sought-after greyhound races. It's, uh, it's super exciting. Scott, I, I'm always really impressed with the catchy names that uh, the greyhound industry comes up for with series and races, you the Paws of Thunder and Top Gun and so on. Who came up... This is a lovely one as well, the Dream Chasers series. Who came up with the Dream Chasers? It's a great question. Um, uh, There's some genius in marketing there who's been coming up with these things for years. 
Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Um, CRV sort of proposed the name to us, and I think we all sort of looked at each other and went, okay, um, you know, the, the, the actual uh, meaning behind it and, and the chasing of dreams and the chasing of these races like the Top Gun, the Melbourne Cup and the Phoenix, and it all sort of came together and, and, and made sense. So, so you're right, there's some, someone out there with a big, good creative mind um, coming up with this stuff. And the fact that we call Greyhounds Chasers. So it was um, sort of like a perfect little headline there. Really good. So it starts tonight with the Top Gun. You must be um, looking forward to some great racing action, Scott. Have you sold many tickets to the dining and the packages that you had available? Are you expecting a big crowd? Yeah, it's probably going to be one of the biggest crowds um, that we've seen for, for a while. Obviously, we've had COVID and we've come out of that and really uh, pressed on, on the, uh, the pre-sale for tickets. And ticket sales have been strong, but there's plenty of options on the night for people still wanting to come and, and buying tickets at the gate. Uh, it's super night of racing. I'm not sure there's any other, uh, any other night of racing, Greyhound racing, where you have three Group 1 races over three different distances, which we will have tonight. So... Uh, the the on-course experience is great. The racing is, is exceptional. Um, we encourage, encourage anyone to come along tonight. There's ticket, many tickets still available. And the buffet is legendary. What, what, in the modern sort of semi-post-COVID world, what is a, a big crowd at a big Greyhound meeting at, at the Meadows? What, what sort of crowd will you get tonight? We're hoping for 1,500 people. Uh, we'll have 300 upstairs in the, in the dining room. There's a few different areas that we've activated around the the course that we'll use for, for separate package offers. And, of course, we'll still have general admin available as well. So 1500 for tonight. Phoenix, we're probably looking to raise the bar a little and, and have uh, 3,000 on course, uh, which is a super crowd and you know bigger than some of the crowds we've seen for, for many, many years. Scott, I, um, I actually called the first Top Gun, or one of the callers of the first Top Gun, and... Incredible to have a race come on the scene the way it did. It took about 15 minutes for the photo to come through, but it was a dead heat. It was quite an extraordinary start to what turns out to be an extraordinary race. That was back in 1993. Yeah, Golden Currency worth backing dead heating in the first. You couldn't have written a better script to it. And since that time, just some of the absolute immortals of the sport have, have won the Top Gun. Fernando Bale, Whiskey Assassin, Bombastic Shiraz. Uh, it's just a race that it draws together the absolute cream of the crop and, and we've drawn them from all around the country this year with the best sprinters from, from all the states. So it's, it looks, it's going to be a super, super race. Uh, it's Roush is fast as Dornbach 5, which makes the race a whole lot more interesting. Uh, and, yeah, I can't wait for it to, to come up tonight, race 8. And the very first Top Gun, Dan, in 1993, like we've just mentioned, Golden Currency worth backing, it was the brainchild of Bill Collins. It was um, the, the whole concept of the Top Gun. So his legacy lives on year after year. And like you mentioned, you couldn't have scripted it any better. But for the people living in the modern world that have not known a life other than having a phone in their hand or modern technology, it was broadcast on Channel 10, I think, at the time. And then they had only allocated a certain amount of time for the race and uh, a small amount of presentations, perhaps. But because of the photo finish, they had to cut the <laughs> broadcast off. So the people sitting at home, like myself, who were waiting for the results to come through, and we had the teletext on the, on the TV at that time, yeah. were waiting for those numbers to flash up. So I'm talking about another era that people would not be familiar with some of our, or maybe most of our listeners would, but there would be some younger people. So it really created a lot of drama and great memories, and it was a really wet, cold night that they ran the top, first Top Gun on. So plenty to remember there, Scott. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, hopefully we don't have the, the same conditions for this that day. The weather's <laughs> looking good. Uh, hopefully we can get uh, a big crowd based on a, a nice, warm uh, spring uh, evening. How much to walk through the gate? Uh, $10 to walk through the gate. Um, there's a few packages available which include food and drinks. They, they start from $45, and they're also available for people walking up tonight. No, it sounds like you've got a, a recipe for success coming up, Scott, and looking forward to these five big nights of racing and can't wait to be out there tonight for the Top Gun. Thanks for joining us on Cracking the Codes. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And that was Scott Wookatch and certainly looking forward to a great night out at the Meadows tonight. I will be out there as well and it's great to have this atmosphere that we can all just embrace again and get back on track and enjoy the good racing and what's on offer because 
hopefully with this weather change, um, we might have some good nights ahead of us out there. And you guys have got a big day ahead at Flemington again with Champions Day. Yeah, yeah, we're doing a cake gaff again, Dan, aren't we? We're running another marathon uh, uh, right through the day. Yes. It's been a lot of fun. And by the way, tomorrow is when Kate Gath runs the New York Marathon. Yes, that's right. And uh, so we might be able to catch up with Kate when she comes back and uh, I'll, I'll give her a, uh, get in touch with her and find out how she went. But she's there to raise funds too for EB, so keep that in mind, uh, to her socials page and uh, check in with Kate Gath too to be able to donate because she's running there for that cause as well as herself personally. She qualified to be there, but it's a very important cause. So it'll be good to catch up with uh, Kate and find out how she went. It's a, it's a big moment for her. Absolutely. So looking forward to uh, Champions Day today. Simone, what, what's, well, you've got a busy, you're, you're popping up every code almost now, aren't you? I know. Maybe I'm going to be the serial pest. People will get sick of me sort of heading up at the Don't, she's left us an opportunity there, vision. Dan. Just, 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 let's just move Cereal on. Serial pest. <laughs> got to bite your tongue. Yeah, you got to bite your tongue. Uh, I, I do need to get out to one of the big race meetings. Every year you watch the Melbourne Cup, okay, not the last couple of years with COVID, but um, you see the crowd and you think, oh, I wished I was there. Not so much on Tuesday because it was so cold, but maybe I'll a have to get out to one of these. a re-entry big... into the fashions. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. But listening to Eileen Mara as well, um, Kieran's mum, because Eileen and I used to sort of be on the, the stage together and she was always immaculately dressed and looked beautiful. And um, there's nothing of Eileen, but she always presented very well and did very well in the fashions on the field. So it was nice to see her up on the presentation dais and making a speech. And I was, it was funny because when I was listening to Kieran make his speech, I was waiting for him to slip up and say, I'd like to thank my brothers and sisters, like he did in one of the other races. Oh, I don't have any sisters. And I, I think he's just <laughs> such a, a farm boy at heart and it really shines through. And um, no, I won't be making an appearance in fashions on the field. I certainly... We I might be able to get Eileen on and uh, she can give us a bit of an insight to Simone during her halcyon days. And just how competitive she was and what, what she, you yeah. know, whether there was a Tonya Harding incident to knock off a potential rival and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely not. Hey, um, Simone, no. um, yes. guys, we will catch up again. Oh, actually, I might not. I think I'm away next week. So, But anyway, the week after. But you're going to take us out today with another reflection on another epic Top Gun. Yeah, I am. I, um, it's it's hard sometimes finding some of these races, as Dan would know, but like you, we saw in Gunsind, you come up with a 1970 package, but you can't come up with a, a race from maybe 10 years ago in the Greyhounds, no matter how hard you look on YouTube. So thanks very much to our producer this week, Phil Tuzal, who found the 2009 Sindine Shelby. But I was able to find the Top Gun replay from the year 2000, and that was the year that the Ruth King-trained placard won the Top Gun. See you guys next week. See you, Simone. Racing go well. Teddy boxed okay away very fast. Dutchie's Angel on the inside. Drippy Zola. Drippy Zola's going to lead out of the straight now from Dutchie's Angel. Go well, Teddy. And Dutchie's Angel bumped there. Going to the back straight and Drippy Zola, the leader. Led by four lengths to go well, Teddy. They were followed by Dutchie's Angel. Over on the inside, Placards running on strongly. They were followed by Classic Abri, Wing Runner. Then Gentle Memory and Candon Bale. Drippy Zola, the leader. Placard is closing quickly on the outside. Placard race to the lead. And Placard racing away to win the top gun